0: Hello again, my friends. Welcome to Jorgensen Soundbox, a sandbox of sounds. This show is a vehicle for my curiosity about building businesses, compounding leverage, and using technology to live a good life. My guest today, Kevin Espiritu, is a friend and the founder of Epic Gardening. He built a 10-figure business in the past five years by bringing his love of gardening online, and today Epic Gardening is the biggest gardening education platform in the world and more. We will talk about Kevin's methodical process for growing the media business, pun intended, Uh, the incredible synergies between a media business and a D2C commerce model, which he has kind of mashed together, the best of both worlds, and how he's now raising PE money and making an acquisition as an independent entrepreneur. And that's all before we get into the really fun stuff like how creators can implement Web3 tools, Kevin's short career as a male model, how he paid his way through school playing poker online, and we'll even teach you how to pirate pink pineapples, which as it turns out are a real thing. Please enjoy this conversation arriving at your ears in three, two, one. Kevin Espiritu, the green giant Garden Master. Thanks for thanks for uh coming on a podcast. Hey man, happy to do it. Happy that happy that you have a podcast, actually. I was really excited when I I found out that you had one. Oh, I appreciate that. I've had a lot of people be like, you're the kind of guy who should have a podcast. I'm like, I don't know how to interpret that, but <laughs> keep listening. It's, it could be, you know, depending on who that's coming from, it's for sure
1: a backhanded compliment. Yeah. Or if it's coming from someone like outside of the like thinker online world, then it's an actual compliment. Yeah, I I'm probably 50-50 on yeah, backhanded
0: compliments yeah yeah <laughs> that's okay that's that's good for me. um I'm actually super super excited to to do this because we've uh like internet known each other um for a very long time and I would like consider you a long distance friend and you've had like such this awesome run um that I feel like I appreciate but don't know the details of and I'm there's a lot for me to dig into here and I'm just like to hear how it all came together.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, it's. I would say the same for me. We were just talking about how we we know each other more than we actually do, or we think we know each other more than we actually do because we had a phone call like five years ago. Yeah. And from from at least on my end, I don't know about you. You know, I'll see your tweets on Twitter. I'll I'll throw something back at you here and there, and I'm like, oh, Eric's my bro. Never met him in person. Had a 50
0: minute phone call five years ago, and that's just how it is. Yeah. Well, it helps. I mean, I see you like literally every week. You're like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like caught up on your life in a totally kind of like passive, non-active way. And I it, it, like when it goes both ways, I think it, you know, um, you end up with this kind of deep relationship that's just like, I don't know, just forms. Twitter's fucking crazy. Especially, well, you know what it
1: is, man? It's the parasocial relationship in a way, uh, which I see a lot running what I do, which we're going to talk about, is yeah. you get a sense that you know someone way more than you do because you see these slices of their life and you go, oh, I do that too. You start to relate to them and you actually start to fill in the gaps of their life in what you think it is. And then you think you really do know them. And I've, I've got weird stories about that from, from Epic Gardening that has proven that out, that that's like a very real phenomenon.
0: Yeah, because you are um, like legitimately famous in gardening circles now. Like, I yeah, don't know yeah. who was on the, 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 if there was a gardening channel, like you would be one of the faces of it. You've been in a male model and Timberland campaigns here. <laughs> like, um, is, is that weird and annoying? Is that like, cause I, I know you well enough to know that you're like more of a business builder than a fame seeker. Um,
1: it was the consequence, I suppose. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's, what's nice about it. I was talking with, I, I think it was Noah Kagan once about why do you do what you do, right? And because he's he's in the public eye much more than I am, especially in the business world, right? And I think we both came to this idea of like, it's cool when someone w- recognizes you, but it's cooler that it's because what you put out helped them in a certain way. So it's fame of uh, utility, I suppose, than just like raw, I know this guy, which in my world, actually, probably more than someone like him, it sometimes can be that way. Because they, if they see on YouTube and they have this idea that YouTubers are like really cool people, then yeah, they might freak out a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's it's been interesting. It's been it's been funny. It's been like humbling. It's been
0: it's been a good thing overall. I would say. Yeah. Um, well, so it started. Tell us how it started, because this goes way back to like, I mean, you built this blog as a byproduct of marketing, right? You were just trying to like proof of work yourself into like, hey, look, I got internet skills. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, if we
1: go all the way back to the beginning, I suppose it would be you know going to college at at UCSB. I came in playing online poker, and I was like, I was obsessed with it back then. This this would have been 2005, so this is like right on like wave one of online poker, and so I got really into that. Started playing that in college. Didn't I? Came in undeclared, eventually declared business economics accounting, but I was making like well more than an accountant salary during college. And accounting, I was like, this is stupid. Um it turns out it's not it's actually extremely valuable but at the time <laughs> i was like why would i why would i come out of college work 80 hours a week to make 60k a year on something i'm not absolutely in love with when i'm poker's doing more and so that set me off the path of really ever i thought in my head i was like i'll never get a job and back then i kind of had like a toxic belief i would think about jobs i was like if you're not working for yourself like you're just a clown you know which held me back a lot i would say held me back a lot in my growth my early 20s it's just a dumb belief um, but yeah, so so that kind of set me off. And then after I quit poker, which was about six months after graduating, I was like, okay, well, that was kind of just a high paying job. I didn't really, you know, you're not making money when you're not playing it. I did start doing some investing in other players, but not too much. So I started building websites. And then I was like, okay, well, building websites is a one-off contract. You got to keep hustling for clients. So maybe I'll start helping them with their marketing. And that's when the blog came about. It's so like, well, I should have a calling card. And instead of a business card, why not just a blog that proves that I know what I'm doing? Uh, And I was into gardening at the time. And so I just started a a blog back then. It wasn't called Epic Gardening um, as as basically the online business card when I would go into like a dentist or a
0: plumber and say like, I can market your business. Uh, I don't know what it is about poker that either like attracts or shapes people, but I feel like a lot of the most amazing like entrepreneurs and investors have some kind of like poker or gambling background. I've thought about
1: that a lot, actually.
0: I was talking um, to an anonymous, I don't know who
1: this person is because it's, you know, in the Crypto Web 3 world, you never know who anyone is anymore. <laughs> but it turns out this this guy I was talking to, we both were in the same era of poker players. We sort of knew the same players and and we're in the same worlds. And lo and behold, this guy's like a crypto god, Right. Uh, And so uh, that you somehow, I think what it is, the way I thought about it when I was playing poker is it really is a microcosm of exactly the skills that uh, you need as an entrepreneur, because you're working off imperfect information, but you can infer a lot um, and you have to make decisions quickly and you have to put stakes behind the decisions that you make in certain sizes, your bet sizing and all that. And so to me, I'm like, it's almost the perfect simulation of decision-making under pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with like real world information, you don't know everything. Right. So that's what I think it is. But yeah, you're right. I mean, a ton of poker players end up doing something in the world of business. Did,
0: were you like super quantitative about your approach? Like, are you a math brain guy?
1: Um, I think, I think I'm some, some, some sort of weird hybrid. Like there's definitely stronger mathematician style players than I was. Um, and there's definitely way stronger field-based players than I was, which is probably why, I mean, I did pretty well, all things considered, but I mean, I was nowhere near the guys that I was sort of learning from. And these are guys that were buying in with like 40 grand, playing four tables at a time and losing or winning six figures in a day, you know, and I, I was, I was making some number of six figures in a year. Right. So the scale was just way off.
0: I think I, I had too much emotion tied up to the money still. Yeah. Well, it's hard, especially when, you know, you're that young, like, yeah, yeah, big swings is is tough. Um, so so you left poker you started building websites working in the internet uh building this blog where where did it turn from sort of side project into like oh shit this is my full-time thing now
1: yeah that took a while actually so the the blog i like i registered the domain i think in 2013 but i didn't go full-time on it till 2016. and in that gap i had raised some money from like quote-unquote angels I uh, didn't really know much about raising at the time. So they weren't really even angels, and it was just a bad idea um, to, to do like um this relationship app with a co-founder of mine. I think the app still the idea was good, it just excuse was not. Yeah. So that that had failed. And then I I finally decided, oh, maybe working for someone and learning is a smart idea and not like making you a clown. <laughs> and so I I ended up working, I was employee too at um what was then called Book in a Box, but is now called Scribe Media. Um, which, if if anyone doesn't know what it is, it's it's kind of like this hybrid publishing service that is not quite traditional, it's not quite self published, and they put out some really high quality stuff.
0: Um, so learned a lot there. Yeah, yeah. I, I use Scribe to, to publish the almost. Oh did you really? Yeah. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. I always call them like a like a professional self publisher. That's like, what they are. Yeah, yeah. I, like yeah. I'm like I don't know. I call them my publisher, but it's um they just help you do all the stuff at a really professional level, but you still have all the rights. There's no like weird financial instrument like the traditional yeah. publishers do. What's What's so
1: funny is, I, I mean, to go back to the story, I, like I learned a lot about how companies grow because I couldn't get a company of mine past, you know, low high five, low six figures of revenue, let alone mm-hmm. income. Right. And so for me, I was like, that's just not enough for me to consider myself doing well in business, right? So I mentored under them, learned a ton. I was like, oh, shit, this is actually how you run a company (laughs) past a certain scale. Um, And then lo and behold, in 2016, um, when I did Epic Gardening full-time, like a couple years later, I got a book deal and it was a traditional publishing deal, which is kind of like going backwards, so to speak. Uh, But it's just a funny little
0: twist of events. Yeah, I kind of I, like I'm getting approached by traditional publishers now, and I kind of want to like pick your brain about that because I think you've done it both ways. But um, but let's so stick with your story for now, and not, let's let's like do a memento thing where like you tell us where Epic Gardening is now, um, and then maybe we'll go back to like 2015, 16 when you're kind of uh, going sure. full time on that. Yeah, sure. So I guess
1: today Epic Gardening would be really kind of depends on how you slice it up, but. I, th- I would say that we're the largest gardening education platform in the world. Um, it really depends on if you value like multi-platform, like if you sum up the multi-platform, mm-hmm. then for sure we are, because we're the biggest on YouTube. I think we're the biggest on TikTok. We're the biggest on Instagram. So social-wise, for sure. And then just the the breadth of uh, content formats that we publish, we we've got to have the biggest surface area. And then what we've done since then is, okay, well, you've got all the education. Instead of working with brands, just become your own brand and start offering products yourself direct to consumer. And so that's what we have started to do. Uh, I wouldn't say we're anywhere near the biggest at, at that point on the product side, but that piece has led us to the point where we are now, where we're about to close a series A and, and really run for the fences on this
0: direct to consumer, like education-based model. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because it's um, it's getting harder to find like, what a company is or isn't because I don't know, four years ago or something, you would have been like, oh, this is a media company. Um, but now, like you've kind of worked backwards into all these different product lines, and now it's like, well, you're kind of a product business, but also like the media is a revenue driver in itself. But, like you don't need a marketing arm because the media products are the marketing for the products. And, like it's all just this big, beautiful like.
1: What's weird, dude, is I feel like a fish out of water in any specific like lane I'm in because, in let's say, in the direct to consumer world, right? Since we now s- offer products. Well, everyone's talking about like CAC and LTV and return on ad spend. And I'm like, I literally don't have an, a line item for ads because my ads, if you think about it, are the are the content that I produce, which is actually revenue positive. So my customer acquisition cost is actually a positive number, which you can't even like you can't even start a conversation with a D2C person because they're like, that doesn't make sense. Um, and then if you go into like the the influencer world, right, well, they're all playing with, Okay. You know, my what's my RPM on YouTube and how many views can I get to scale linearly my RPM? And I'm like, okay, well, I actually, don't really care if my RPM pays me that much because the actual earnings on the back end for the products is way better, right? And so, either way, I'm either either world I'm in, it's like I'm doing the opposite of what you're supposed to do, you know? So it's it's kind of weird to like try, try to talk to people in in any of those fields.
0: Yeah, you like vertically integrated slowly like slice by slice basically, very like, slow yeah from media back through it doesn't it probably doesn't feel slow looking back now but um i would say the thesis that i like came up with is i was like okay well
1: what's the hardest thing it's harder to get attention and 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 build trust with an audience over time than i think anything else online and so if i get that first then that can go to anything else uh rather than coming up with a product and then like buying influencers to try to sell it you know so that was the idea, and it turns out it was seems like it was right,
0: yeah and I you don't have to share revenue numbers or anything unless you're comfortable with it, but like audience size like you said biggest in the gardening world, but that is it's fucking huge like YouTube is one and a half million at least a couple hundred thousand on Instagram last time yeah. looked
1: yeah we're i I would say we're approaching eight figures of revenue um and that's with zero ads and almost no products because we don't, we can't even get inventory. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so, so one and a half on YouTube, 1.1 million on TikTok, almost half a million on Instagram, the podcast before I stopped, I was, I was doing a daily podcast for four years. I took a month break just cause of some personal stuff, but I think every episode gets about 10,000 downloads or so. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's just wild. Obviously there's the whole thing of COVID that, that really ramped us. Um,
0: but even without that, I think it still would have been a pretty sizable business. For sure, yeah. So, what does the team look like that has to run this thing? Do you have like, contractors for different kind of mm-hmm. types of media, or you just like have 19 arms and never sleep? Well, so what I, I
1: I've scaled the company revenue and like metrics faster than the team, which is a mistake. Um, so, actually, I think that's a pretty sizable mistake I've made. Where really, it's myself, an assistant, an in-person garden manager, warehouse excuse me, warehouse manager and some contractors for editing and graphics and stuff. And that's it. And so to me, I feel like when you get to like approaching eight figures of revenue and your team's that small, you've left growth on the table. Like it's kind of a cool flex, but I don't think it's that it's not actually that cool. You probably should just have hired more people. Um, So that's kind of the phase we're going into now. Like we're going to go customer service, director of commerce, like we're going the full, the full thing. Cause yeah, I mean, dude, I it's, it's tough to
0: do a million things at once as I'm sure, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm, amazed that like that's a lot of revenue and a lot of content like across all those channels like to be good at all those and you're good at all of them right it's not you know i feel like um a lot of creators have these you know one channel that they're really strong in and there's kind of like spillover half-assery that happens in other in other
1: channels yeah yeah
0: yeah i would say um so i'm i'm always
1: in search i think the, the one i'm the worst at is twitter I always I like I get jealous of guys like you because I'm like, oh, he's so good at putting things into like a tweet format that that people enjoy. And I'm just not. Certainly in gardening, it's like that's not a big platform in gardening. But one thing I really tweeted out that I thought I was, you know, like this does encapsulate how I think about content, is I said, uh, you know, content is a language and platforms are the dialects of the language. And so if you if you know how content should be structured, it's just a shifting game to make it work per platform, right? So even, even like an Instagram Reel versus a TikTok, it's kind of the same short form video vertical format, but, but it's kind of not because the platform has like a meta language that, that it, it uses, right? And you kind of have to know both. And so in a perfect world, you'd make the same content twice. And you might even say like three different words. Um, and So that's how I've, I've sort of
0: thought about that. Yeah. Okay. So, so on the come up again, um, did you start with like one particular platform, get good at that, then add another platform? Totally. Yeah. Okay. So so like,
1: cause, cause I never thought I'd be like raising money. Right. I was like, oh, I'll just ride Epic Gardening until the sunset and it's a cash flow business. And that's fantastic. And I can do whatever I want. So the way I did it is that the blog started it out because I had an SEO background. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll make the blog pay for itself. And then I'll hire up some gardening writers and I'll move to YouTube. So that's what I did. Uh, then I'll I'll do the podcast. Then I'll start getting into social. And the goal was for each of the platforms to be their own revenue drivers, so they could in theory run themselves forever, um, and then also passively be compounding themselves, so that eventually it way outpaces. And so that's what I did. I just kind of stair stepped, and I tried to pick the highest leverage next platform for the prior one. Because like let's say you, if you build the blog, then when I went to YouTube, I said, okay, well, what are my top twenty five pages? I'll make a video on every single one of those and embed them. Then you don't necessarily have to grow on YouTube. You just have embedded traffic that sends good signals to the algorithm. And you're good. Um, same same idea with the podcast. Same idea with Instagram. Is and I know you're all about leverage, right? So it's like just pick the highest leverage thing and just do that. And you don't have to like grind
0: it out to start it. You know? Yeah, that's super smart. So Just like running each new platform at least at break, getting to break even as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really, really interesting. And then. Sort of using whatever the best raw material was for the next channel. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's the same thing with the podcast. Like top top fifty posts on the the blog, just made podcasts on those and embedded them. And then on like the fledgling social channels at the time, just said I had a podcast and you got your first two hundred listeners. And then
0: if it's good, you just let word of mouth go with the rest. Yeah. What? Um. How How quickly did you find yourself adding new new platforms? Uh,
1: I would say so. technically, the YouTube and the blog kind of happened at the same time, just as far as effort, you know, so 2016 to 2017, big blog focus, Uh, writers came in around then. And so I could focus on YouTube. So then it was probably YouTube. Um, But I, I guess I did do the podcast in 2017, too. So kind of, kind of not as six
0: months or something, maybe. Yeah,
1: something like that. And then, you know, now, like, like, for example, in the pandemic, when YouTube really ramped, I said, and I had just purchased a home. I was like, well, this is the time to launch a secondary channel. Because once you get to a certain level, you're almost forced to talk in generalities. And so then you have to re-niche yourself back down. And what a lot of creators do is they make a second channel mm-hmm. that's more freeform. And so then I did that. And it's a game of, I think Gary V actually says it pretty well. And like, say what you want about Gary Vee, but he's like, attention is a currency that floats around the internet. And you have to actually know where to like cast the
0: net to, to get it at the right time. So yeah, you gotta play around with that. Is that second channel also because you start to see caps on your organic reach? Like that's something I hear. Um,
1: um, yeah, I, w- I would say, well, gardening is interesting because it is truly evergreen. So if I make the best video I can <laughs> on growing ginger, growing tomatoes, like there's videos I've made that are two, three years old now that still dominate my views at certain times of year, no matter what else I put out. Uh, and so like, you know, I have a video on like pruning tomatoes that every month gets a couple hundred thousand views. Um, just it's never going out of style, right? Um, so so in a sense, I would say no, because I think the overall market on YouTube's growing and gardening's growing, you know, but um, but yeah, I, I think I just wanted to talk about adjacent stuff to gardening that I couldn't put out on the main channel. Like I can't drop like
0: a solar energy video on the main channel. It just won't work. Yeah, because you, you bought that that uh, piece of property and you're, you're homesteading now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to like practically homestead in a way that's like accessible to suburban people instead of just going out into the woods, you know.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, I did I did bookmark your um basil uh pruning video oh, because yeah? look at this, look at this little oh, button. So, that's he's not so great. <laughs> oh.
1: It's you know what, wait, hold it back up, hold it back up. I think you've got so if you cut, you see that where that three leaf is coming out right yeah. there? Th- if you cut guy? if you cut right above that, you you should be fine. Cut all the dead stuff to right above a growth node and it should come
0: back. Okay. Yeah. You got it. Little pro tip. <laughs> Trying to make some caprese around here and uh, just my, basils, <laughs> my basil's all wilted to shit. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So, so you've got a like, you got a media company, you got a blog, you got YouTube, you got a podcast. They're growing, they're at least kind of breaking even. It's 2017, 18. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where, where do we, where do we go from there? Like where, when did you, uh, start introducing the first, actually before we get there, what was it like to take your hands off of the content production for the first time? You said you brought in writers and yeah, yeah, that must've been, I mean, that's a big sort of leap in leverage. It's plenty scary for people.
1: I think so. I, I don't think I had as hard a time with it as many writers do. Cause I've, what's interesting, at least for me is I've never thought of myself as like a writer or a YouTuber, or a I don't think of myself as any of those things in my head. And so it makes it a little easier to let go of certain parts of the process, I think. Um, I just think of myself as a content creator. And so whatever stack, whatever line in the stack I am in that, that's fine with me. Uh, and so yeah, h- hiring a writer, I think was good because gardening is just so wide. I can't know everything. There's just no way. So if I can hire horticulturists that, that know a lot more than me or have a research background, they're putting out an actually better article um, than I could put out, especially given my time now, you know? So that wasn't too bad. Um, even hiring an editor for YouTube, a lot of YouTubers are very protective of that. And I was like, look, I'll literally never be better than a full-time editor at editing. It's just not possible. Uh, and so, you know, hiring an editor, huge leverage leap that, that lets you put out not only better content, but more, Right. Um, and so, yeah, it, it hasn't been that difficult. I just think the mistake I've made, like I was saying, is I should have done this way faster. The ramp could have been way faster. Um, but I'm not I'm not upset about how I did it.
0: Yeah, I feel like everybody who's got the uh, the, the, the survivor bias, like now that it worked, we should have done it faster. Like e- Exactly, right? Because
1: yeah. you're taking, the first time <laughs> you do it, you take a risk. And then the second time you're like, oh, obviously it wasn't as much of a risk
0: as I thought I should have done it more. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything specific you think you should have done sooner?
1: Yeah, so I would say... Um, hiring the editor like right as the youtube channel started there's no real need for me to even ever edit i don't think um there was a need for me to write i think i've still got about 30 percent of the articles on the blog are mine um yeah so so hiring a writer would have been that that was probably fine i could have hired more writers quicker because now what we have is we have an editor-in-chief that manages the writers right and so that would have been a smarter move because with SEO with written content, the the sooner you get it up, the sooner it's aging for the algorithm. Because you're looking at like six to twelve months before a decent ranking. So it's like, yeah, really, just get things up, season them. Uh, so that would have been better. I think when you play these these compounding games on the internet with these call them web two platforms, I guess, um, the sooner you get them up, the better because you need to compound the the leverage of it way quicker. Uh, so like if I could have put twenty videos out. A week in spring of 2017, those videos would be. I mean, the channel could literally be double the size. Um, so, because think about it, anything I put out before COVID would have gotten that same boost, which would have compounded everything way more. It's just, it's just a mistake. I think the compounding mistakes are are very
0: strong in online. Man, you're going to give me a speed complex, and I already have one. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I, I have it too. It's it's weird because like I have that, but also. Life's good, and there's not like you don't have to do that. It's just that the the thing that gets me is like you could. And so, if you could, my brain goes, then I should, but also life's good. So, there's this interplay of like, do I really need to grow the biggest thing of all time, or do I actually not? You know,
0: yeah, it's probably nice that you're like, I don't know, imagine, I imagine your life. This is the parasocial thing. Um, I imagine your life as being like a little hectic around the business side because, like, this is a big organization to run as a just one dude. Um, but also like you spend a lot of time blissed out, just like pruning stuff with your hands in the dirt, like just getting, being a happy farmer.
1: I would say, yeah, that was more the case maybe last year. This year has been a little bit less because like with the products, which I think we'll talk about it's it's, you know, getting a warehouse and learning how to do all that has taken a lot of time. And so it's weird because like the whole reason I started gardening was to get off the computer. I was like really addicted to video games, you know? Yeah. And and now I'm playing a great video game with the. it. it really, I do feel like it's this sort of great game that I'm playing, uh, which sometimes means you're not in the garden, which is kind of counterintuitive.
0: But yeah, it is it
1: is nice to be able to just walk out and chill and, and do that. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, uh, so twenty thousand, two thousand seventeen, eighteen, 2017, 18, uh, you got a kind of a media company. What, what's like the scale or the event that made you feel like, okay, like time to go to the next step. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I would say like, I mean, we can talk revenue of those years, like
1: 2016, when I quit scribe, I think I made like 18 grand from Epic gardening. Um, and this is the guy I'm, I'm 29 at that point in time. It's not like, I'm not thri- I'm not thriving. I had savings. I'm just not I'm not thriving. <laughs> yeah. And then so, so then the next year I think we did 72. Um that would have been 2017, then 2018 we did 225. Uh just and then all media revenue like and th- so yeah, so when you talk about like the influencer model, which is I guess what I was at that time, uh although with a more robust platform set, you're you're really only looking at three streams that are non-owned, which would be ad revenue on YouTube and and the blog. Affiliate revenue on whatever platform you can drive that through, typically Amazon, uh, and then brand brand work. Um, and so those are the three stacks. Unless you have some sort of course, right? Which I've never had. So yeah, that that's all that was back then. And then 2019 is when I added actual physical products to the mix. And 2019 we doubled yet again to like 520k in revenue. Um, and so that as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay. The first year I tried this, dipping my toes in the pond, we doubled revenue and it's a completely new thing we haven't even scratched the surface so i was like yeah products is the obvious play here you know uh, and that's that's what, what i've poured a lot of the energy into what was the uh, what was the first product you did yeah so so what's so here's the crazy part about this model to me is it's a demand surfacing engine that is what you're getting cuz you have if you're an influencer or a creator like like yourself right or any of these like jack butcher or visualized value like these types of guys If you have a platform or platforms in my case, and you're putting content out, you're getting feedback back from people on what they like or don't like about the content or the products within the content or things they would want to see. And so if you think about it, I'm getting a lot of products from gardening companies all over the place. I can display them or not if I like them. If I like them, I can talk about them. And then if I get some sort of way outsized response... It's like, okay, well, then let me talk to that brand about doing something bigger. It's very obvious. You don't have to like be a genius and like, oh, here's how I came up with this product. You don't have to do any of that. And so I had these, there were these metal raised beds out of Australia that I I had in my front yard and everyone's like, what are those in every post? And so every quarter of 2018 to 2019, I, I emailed these guys and I was like, hey, everyone really likes these. Like, do you have someone here that sells them? And they're like, oh, we do. Um, and I was like, okay, well, if, if you ever want another, like, I'll be I'll be that person. And I just did it like every quarter. I had an email just sent out to them. And 2019, in the beginning of the year, they were like, actually, our our distributor dropped off. Would you like to do it? And so I was like, okay, sure. How does this even work? I don't even know how to buy products. And so I ended up buying a 20-foot shipping container for like 35 grand, which was for sure the most money I'd spent at any one point in time. I didn't even have a car that much, you know? Um, And so I was like, okay, I'm really gonna buy like 35 grand of a product and put it on a boat and ship it here. And I dude, it's so funny looking back because I was going to rent a self-storage place in San Diego, land it in LA, cart it to San Diego and put it in the self-storage place and like fulfill it out of that because I didn't know how you did that. <laughs> um, and so I, I had this self-storage place like all lined up and then I talked to a couple of friends and they were like, dude, what are you doing? Like get a 3PL or get someone to fulfill it for you. Like you're insane. <laughs> and so that's what I did. Um, but yeah, on the, on the water, as it was coming over, I put them up for pre-order, sold them out um and so then i was like hey give me another 20-foot container put that on the water sold that out so before either came here they were gone and so then i had the revenue i had the capital to reinvest in inventory and i didn't have to advertise to do it so that i didn't have a margin hit like most like uh, d2c companies have where it's like you sell your you sell out your inventory and then you have to buy inventory and buy ads so you literally have nothing left but i actually had money left so i could hire up and stuff Uh, And so that's kind of how that whole thing started. And that's still the flagship line of products that we have today. Wow. What's the, um, but you've expanded, you added a bunch of new products, I'm sure. Um, Yeah, added and adding, yeah, more stuff. I mean, the the opportunity I see is like, okay, if you have best in class content, when people really get a connection to you, because I mean, with with gardening, it's interesting because people will send you emails like, you know, you, you, you changed my whole family's life or like I was going to kill myself in COVID and I found your channel, you know, and you get, there's, there's a level because it's a primal activity, right? Like there's a level of connection you get. And so if you pair that level of power with actually delivering them really, really high quality products uh, that are actually good and not just like, hey, I slapped my name on it and you're buying it because you like me. It, it's a really powerful combo because, I mean, how do you beat that? I don't know how to beat that as a, as a commerce player.
0: And something that somebody like people are already so passionate about. Um, I, I think interesting. You said like a primal activity, like it is, it is timeless. It's something that, uh, I don't know. My, my mom was always really into gardening and she always talks about like that. There's, uh, she's also a nurse, so she's like got medical terms for this that I won't know, but she's like, there are like enzymes that happen to your hands that connect to things in your brain that like when your hands are in the dirt, you are happy neurochemically Mm -hmm. in a way that you can't be in any other situation yeah super super interesting
1: i saw something about that where it was like there's some sort of bacteria that's present in most of most soil environments where if you interact with it 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 does have some impact on your happiness or something like that the level of that we don't know about all these like connections of the natural world in our bodies it's insane I, i we have no clue you know
0: yeah it's it's so wild um I mean, also just like high oxygen environment and sun and fresh food and all this stuff. So uh, are you like, do you consider yourself more of a gardening nerd or more of a business nerd at this point?
1: Um, I I would say in the beginning, I was more of a gardening nerd. And now that I've, I'm entering new waters in business, I have to be more of a business nerd, but I'm actually really looking forward to hiring people who are better than me at stuff I know I'll never want to do full time. Uh, and going back to being a gardening nerd because I actually think there's so much like lore uh, that hasn't been tied to like new soil science and soil biology and all that. I actually think we can come up with legit discoveries in gardening that haven't been seen yet. Um, so I kind of want to go back to that and 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 do that. But right now it has to be
0: business. Hell yeah, dude! Let's build this solar punk future.
1: Dude, I'm really into that. I'm really into that. I saw some guy, Yashan, the uh, the ex-CEO of Reddit, he's like really into solar punk. He's doing this this tree carbon capture thing uh, and he had this like solar punk contest and I wanted to submit but I was like, dude, the solar
0: punk future is where I need to be. It's where yeah. I need to spend my time. Oh, it's sick. Yeah, I'm building a thread. I kind of like all these little weird ideas put together. Um, it does feel like there's a little bit of a movement around it. It's super cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Then there's the, I saw someone going anti-solar punk and it was like, this is a stupid future. Actually, the future is going to be like nuclear and like super high
0: i don't know everyone it's got their own perspective i like solar punk better yeah i don't think that i i don't know there's plenty of room for nuclear in solar punk i think it's just like, i would i would think so yeah 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 i don't know it's better than steam we're, we're not going forward to steam that's just not gonna we're not gonna yeah. build everything out of brass and have all have monocles Dude, again.
1: but honestly it would be cool <laughs> I, I like. I honestly like the steampunk aesthetic. If the physics made sense, I, w- I would kind of be down.
0: It just looks so uncomfortable. It looks just I like know.
1: hot and I know. Uh, cramped. I don't w- know. Whenever I see those like steampunky <laughs> movies or like video games, I'm like, ah oh, man, I really could live in that world for like a couple weeks at least. It <laughs> <weeks>. seems fun. <laughs> yeah. a little taste, you know, a little taste.
0: <laughs> uh, did, did I? Am I right in uh, finding Scuttlebutt that you did the Reforge Growth Course? Like way back in the day. I actually did do that. Yeah, that was with Scribe. Um oh, so I, okay. I got sent I got
1: sent to do that with Scribe and I think I went to one or two of the in-person things. I think it was maybe like their second cohort or third cohort. I felt very out of place for sure when I was there. I'll say that much. Yeah. Probably <laughs> a lot of a lot of product managers and not a lot of people building media companies. Yeah, yeah. Well, back then, like I was learning how to even be an employee or be good at being in a company. And then I'm sitting there in Silicon Valley or SF with all these guys who have fucking tons of stock up, whatever, you know, it's weird. Cause like, it's a world that I put high status on that in practicality, I actually don't want to inhabit, but still, I think those people are really cool. And I like, want to be like them in my like weaker moments.
0: I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing I have. Yeah. I, I relate to that. And then I watch Silicon Valley and I'm like, oh, this is, mm-hmm. this works this mm-hmm. is perfect parody. Um, yeah. Yeah, Totally. So did any of that, um, I mean, does any of that growth stuff like stick with you? Are you like hyper methodical about how you approach that stuff in in Epic Gardening?
1: Mm, I would say I, w- what's weird is like, as the things, as the platforms have scaled, I've gotten less analytical about the individual sort of platform metrics. I try to hone in, let's say on YouTube, I'll, all I really care about is CTR and, and quality watch time. Everything else I don't really care about. Um, you know, on Instagram, I would care about, um, let's say, well, really the only thing that matters on Instagram now is Instagram reels. So and if I'm not posting that, then I'm failing. But within that, uh, it would just be sends. You, you really just want that to be sent to other people and that's about it. Um, so yeah, I guess I would say no, cause what I've tried to do is build, like, I really think of it as like a digital organism. And so like the platforms are organs of a body that is sort of meta, um, and so if you keep the health of the individual organs up, they all communicate with one another in some way. And in that sense, you kind of let chaos grow it rather than like structured um structured metrics, I guess. And I don't know if I don't know if that's dumb or not because that's how I've always thought about it. I was like, well, if you treat each platform correctly with the algorithm and the people on the platform and you just make it available, they they could go anywhere else. They'll just do it if they want to, and you don't have to like try too hard to make it happen. But maybe I'm just leaving a lot of growth on the table. I don't know if that's true or not.
0: I don't know either. But I don't know that many people who successfully run this many platforms either. Like, did did you see increase in in each internal platform as you added a new one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, as long as you give them the on and
1: off ramp to each each of them, right? Uh, So you have to like on YouTube, for example, something we do is we'll have these little lower thirds just passively pop up that say like daily gardening tips on Instagram. Check it out. We have a podcast. I'm not like really calling it out, but if they just happen to be looking over what 4 million views a month, then yeah, some people will go. Um, and you just let them choose. And every so often I kind of directly call it out. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: think that makes sense. There's like a, I don't know. I find relief in finding like I have to be very intentional about time on YouTube. Like I don't love just like sitting in front of my computer. It's it's not like part of my consumption habit. I wish
1: I I was like that. Yeah. I I
0: love YouTube way too much. Oh, really? I'm obsessed with YouTube, dude. I watch it all the time. I mean, as you should be probably. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh man, 20 minute YouTube video like that. That feels like the opportunity cost of 20 minutes of desk time. Do you watch it on TV? Or like on your phone, or like uh, so, like like I treat YouTube a lot of the times like a
1: podcast because I have YouTube okay. Premium, and so you uh, can actually uh, close your phone. Okay, and so I'll throw in like you know my my headphones, and I'll be outside working or going for a walk or something, and I'll just listen to a YouTube video as if it's a podcast. Weirdly, I've like moved away from podcast consumption in favor of YouTube, but I think my consumption habits are kind of weird. Like they're not they're
0: not typical for sure. I think everybody's got a weird their own weird habit you know, yeah. around that stuff, which is, which is kind of why I figured it it, I mean, it makes sense when you have all those platforms, you let people choose their own adventure on a platform level, but stay within your brand. Like that makes a ton of sense. All I want is for them, t- if there's a format of content they
1: prefer, I just want to have it for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why, for example, the podcast existed or like doing the short form videos and the long form YouTube videos, you know, I just want to have it there available. It's kind of like, um, I think at, at, at Scribe, I learned like, yeah, a lot of people don't read books anymore, but the people who do really do. And so you, ha- you have to have a book because like r- writing the two gardening books I wrote, way less people have ever read those. And we sold like 40,000 copies, but way less people have ever read those and watched one video, you know,
0: um, but you still have to write it, in my opinion. Yeah, I, uh, there's such a weird arbitrage around books. Like there's plenty, I, I've written way more words and published way more words on the internet than inside of a book, but because it's got an ISBN, people like, and it's like this mysterious thing that's a specific like intimidating body of work to think about creating. I think people like give it this status.
1: They And they still do, which is crazy because like back when we started, I'm not gonna say we started, when I joined, you know, Book in a Box Scribe, that was already starting to erode because of the self-publishing on-ramp was so easy. And so there was this gap that Tucker and Zach found that was like, oh, self-publishing is kind of garbage. Like a lot of garbage comes out, but traditional publishing is an elitist gated system. And so let's actually make a published book that, that's good, that you actually own the upside of. And you would think that if you can self-publish, traditional publish, and do this sort of hybrid model, that the... the allure of being an author would start to go away in the world of the public they would start treating it less seriously but that still hasn't happened if you have a book you're still a baller for no good reason (laughs) hopefully hopefully it's a good reason you know but (laughs) you get what i'm saying you could you could be seen as cooler than you are with with no just because you have the ISBN
0: i think that's i think that's true but i will also say it is a shitload of work it is it is a lot more work to put together a good book than a bunch of than an equivalent amount of good blog posts just cuz like the cohesion and the packaging and like the organization of all of it is heinous. i would say it's like what what do you think i mean you you wrote you wrote an incredible book
1: I, my books are different cuz it's more a how to manual but yeah i i would say it's like 10 to 15 times as much work to do a book than it is to do like the same amount of words as blog posts
0: it's got to be you know? Yeah. I, I think that's, yeah, I think that's about right. Um, which, which makes it maybe not an arbitrage at all, but, <laughs> but.
1: it's a, it's, a, you know what I consider it is it's not a financial arbitrage directly because especially me, like the being a traditional publisher, you're getting an eight to 10% royalty. The only way I make that work is by buying wholesale from myself and selling it on my own store. Then I actually capture $12 a copy instead of two. Right. And then the next level, which which Tucker came up with when he was writing his original books, is you you sign a distribution deal with a traditional publishing company, but you actually publish the book. And so then you get the upside. So he formed like a publishing company himself and signed, I think, with Simon & Schuster to just distribute. Because really, that's the only thing traditional publishers are good for still, is they can get your book in every Barnes & Noble in the country, and you still can't. Um, so that's how he went from making like a couple bucks a copy to like eight bucks when he wrote a second book, which crushed, you know?
0: Yeah. I think that's actually similar to what, um, George Lucas did with Star Wars. I think he especially like, once he got the first one was successful, he's like distribution only. I don't need your financing, but he doubled down on himself over and over again. Uh, and put, yeah, like, his whole didn't he take a piece of like the, of the next movie? Yeah, yeah. And like, isn't there something with Star Wars where, like,
1: he retained the the merch rights or something like that, which which blew up?
0: It's something like that, right? Yeah, it was a very, like... Yeah, yeah. The merch rights were, like, under undervalued by the studios at that point because there, like, wasn't really big merch stuff and they didn't know that it was going to be nearly as big as it was. And so I think it was, like... It was a little bit genius, but also a little bit, like, they don't value this and there's infinite upside to it. So, like... I'll ask for that, and they'll give it to me. And yeah, um, yeah, I got to write a post about that. Actually, like his his biography was really interesting. Um, and there's a bunch of little stuff in there that you're like, oh wow, I did not. He and um, the other thing I thought was interesting that's like relevant to our world is he and um, oh shit, not James Cameron, the other famous director that was like his contemporary, Indiana Jones. Oh my god, whatever. Wait. People Isn't that like, him still? Scr- no, people are gonna be no, like, uh, it's not." Screaming this Spielberg, name, Spielberg. The- Spielberg. Thank you. Yeah. Spielberg. Um, oh, we're such movie buffs. <laughs> someone, someone had a heart attack somewhere listening to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they like swap points on each other's movies. And so it, oh, it, that's it, smart. It'd be like giving, getting like, "Hey, you've got equity in the startup. I got equity in the startup. Let's give each other ten percent of each other's and like share this little pool." Oh, um, I like which, that. Which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Wow,
1: what if you could just? There should be some sort of platform where you could just swap equity with your friends,
0: mm-hmm. huh? I mean, we're getting and, n- now that like you can get into other companies for you know one thousand or five thousand or whatever on Angelus, Like that's starting mm-hmm. to become uh, you can do it in cash a little bit, but de- uh, like once we get into token world, I think like a lot. That's more game over. Think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's insane. I I have my mind. It's so weird
1: because like as as Epic's growing and obviously we're going through like this huge this huge raise and this next launch of the company, that's a huge and primary focus. But as soon as I read and get inoculated with the Web3 ideology, I'm like, oh, it's actually the end of (laughs) Web2 at some future point. Probably not. To me, it feels like we're like at the phase of Web3 where Twitter just came out. You know, and we're still like posting our old Facebook statuses on on Twitter, and like I'm eating a bagel today. That's where it feels like we are.
0: Uh, but I could be wrong. Maybe we're further along than than we are. Oh, I think, I think we're even earlier than that, to be honest. Yeah, yeah I think there's only a few. There's only like there's, I think there's less than 10 million ETH wallets still. Um, That's it. Which is wow. like uh, it's like around. It's on the order of a tenth of a percent of the internet ha- is like has an address okay in, well that's in, good like, to know. web three quote unquote yeah. um so yeah I, I think we're like 97 <laughs> which is not well, good that's for even reasons
1: that's but. not good for yeah we might all be
0: crying in a, in a couple <laughs> years maybe in a couple months honestly <laughs> we'll, we'll see yeah, yeah. uh so t- talk to me about this raise um because i it, like i mean you have a by all accounts, wildly successful business with no cost centers and just everything that you do produces revenue. Uh, so, mm-hmm. what do you like? What are you raising money for? Well,
1: yeah. What's the point, right? So that that is the the discussion because you know you have a, if you have a successful business, you're getting emails all the time for like acquisitions, and it's it's usually from quite frankly, kind of like clownish companies that are just trying to take advantage of you, you know. And so, given that I never thought I would raise for all the reasons you just said. Um, I would just usually de- insta-delete those, right? And I got I got an email, obviously right now I can't say exactly, but um got an email and it just hit a little different. And I was like, okay, well, I'll take the phone call. And it's a very different style of deal than I think a lot of the people in our world would do because it's not venture, it's private equity. Um, but what it allows me to do in this moment of life, going hard for five years on it and Finally admitting, I think to myself that, hey, I actually don't long, long term in the future, for the next couple of years I do, but long, long term, I don't want to be the CEO of like a 150 plus person company, which is where this can easily go. Day to day, it's not as like the status of it I don't really want. Uh, and the day to day is just not as interesting as other things I could do. Um, and so given that there's a ton of opportunity in the gardening space to do a content to commerce style business, because gardening is just such an antiquated industry, so the field is wide open. And to do the the execution that I think makes sense in that field, I don't have the capital to do it, even though things are going well. And I don't have the team to do it. And so this particular investor, not of course they have the capital, but they've built companies in, in they've helped build companies in very adjacent spaces with almost the exact sort of philosophy that I was already executing on. And so I was like, yeah, this just makes complete sense. And of course, yeah, it helps that you get to take some some liquidity off the table and you get to take a little bit of the pressure off um, of, of doing it all on your own. So like hiring up, you know? So that's the idea. It's like, I think, because I'm trying to optimize now for interest and uniqueness of life experience, this allows me way more of that uh, without as much of the like day-to-day, like I'm running the whole thing and the world's on my shoulders type of thing. So are you going to be
0: able to step back a little bit after this? Is this like the, uh, the like life changing liquidity moment where you change your day to day or not?
1: Well, it, so I would say it it is the life it is life changing liquidity. What I will do with that, I'm I mean, dude. I I maybe spend four grand a month on my personal expenses. Like I don't really have. So so I and I've I've been racking up. I was like, well, what could I do with the money that involved consuming? And I I can barely think of anything. And so all I really want to do is like reinvest that into the future of, of the internet and future of companies and stuff. So I think I'll probably just be working the same amount, but I'll be doing way less of the things that I shouldn't be optimized to do, right? You know, I, I really shouldn't be managing like our inventory anymore, right? Just, it's a low leverage activity for me personally. Like I should only, it's in line with what you talk about, right? Like I should look at my 20 to 100 X leverage things and just continually get myself out of anything that's not that that high, Um and and just and it's either that or it's kind of like a, a barbell strategy, like Taleb. It's like do the hyper leverage stuff, or just chill, and like do enjoyable things, um, and don't do the middle. At least for me, so that that's the goal. I'll still be CEO. I'll still be running the whole thing for the foreseeable future. Um, I can see a future in which like we hire a hyper competent COO, and I get to step really far back from some of that, which would be kind of a relief. At least right now, um, so that that's the logic.
0: Cool. I, I've got a buddy you should uh who who you should talk to who's also like content to commerce king. He's like uh built this incredible company in Missouri, in just outside Kansas City here, um called M- Missouri Star Quilt Company. And it's like Oh, interesting. Dude, okay. It's similar... I've heard of, let's
1: just say I've heard of them. Yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um so yeah, my buddy Al. Uh similar like kind of story of like his mom bought this long arm quilter in like two thousand and 12 and he was like mom we should make some youtube videos like teach some people how to do it and then the the sort of content like grew an audience and the audience requested products and they started selling fabric and growing i mean it's it's a nine a healthy nine figure business they employ like half of the town of hamilton missouri they bought half of the town of hamilton missouri and opened up 12 quilt stores it's like the quilting capital of the america like, I've, I've
1: checked their content out. I've checked their content out because I try to learn from people who aren't in my field, mm. uh, as far as like content and stuff. And so, yeah. yeah, I've I've heard of them before. It's a really impressive company. It just shows you can build like something insane in a hobby niche, which is just like gardening, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, like it's really funny. People are like, "Oh, like, is that can you do that full time?" He's like, "Yeah, Like he's hundreds like, of yeah. people <laughs> work for this company. Like, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I can do that and then some. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it is very cool. Um, and they've gone on to expand into other things. So they've started to do the same thing with like watercolor painting um, and doing like you know, direct-to-consumer kits through that and content around that. It's amazing. Yeah, Dude, the education, if you're in a hobby
1: niche, educating really is the only advertising you ever need to do. Educate and entertain, that's it. Um, and then just offer good products. It's, it's really that easy. Um,
0: it's just hard to start. That's the problem with it. It's hard to start. Yeah, I mean, it took you, I don't know, at least 18 months, it sounds like, before you kind of were like head above water and starting to see returns and like, it's just, yeah, it's a patience game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a patience
1: game that compounds, I mean, you I'm sure you've seen it, right? Like with this, all the different projects that you've done over the years, those returns
0: are probably just compounding like crazy now. They are. I'm too ADD. I I only change my trajectory too much. Like sometimes I'm like, well, shit, what if I had been doing Evergreen Solid for like the last eight years instead of like changing up projects? I'm like... You could have been the Farnham Street. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it it would be the size of Farnham Street or Stratechery or something like that, honestly. Yeah, Um, probably, yeah. uh, And I'm like, I'm a dumbass. And then I'm like, no, but I'm happy. Like, I am I don't know. I, I indulge my ADD. Tell me if you think this is true. So it feels
1: like, I don't know that I buy the like, you know, every dollar after 70,000 US doesn't improve your happiness in a material no. <laughs> way. I, I don't think I really buy that. Um, however, there is a limit that everyone hits at some point where you're like, yeah, it doesn't really matter if I'm doing the revenue optimized thing with my life anymore. Uh, and I, and it actually doesn't even matter if like, if I pursued this, it would be the biggest opportunity. Some people still are like that, but, um, like the Zucks of the world, you know, are probably always thinking that way. But I think most of us get to a point where, we're like, yeah, just optimize
0: for interesting and impact now. Yeah. Well, you start to like, I think you start to shift that perspective and be like, well, I have, what, I have to optimize for something. Um, I don't know. At least that's the way my brain works. Like, what are the guideposts of this decision? Like, how will I determine success? Um, and there's definitely like people who, I don't know. I, I always think of it like Buffett versus Munger is like my, um, I don't know, touchstone for this is like Warren Buffett spent his entire life in like two and a half careers optimizing for one thing, which is like the size of it, either his net worth or market, Berkshire's market cap. And Munger is like, oh, I'm going to go study architecture for a while. And like, now I'm going to go do this. Now, yeah, like, yeah, I'm a yeah. billionaire, but also like I fuck around with all this different stuff because it's interesting. Um, I think
1: you see, I mean, it's my value system. Sounds like it's yours too. I respect those types of people a lot more because I think When you, when you get, if you're, we're all playing games, right? And depends on, you might be playing a status game in academia or something like that, or you might be playing a money game, whatever. Um, But at some point you do have to recognize that you've beaten the game to any degree that matters. And then you have to say, okay, well, do I just keep playing it because it's fun? And that's probably where you see like a Bezos type of personality. Uh, Or do I just switch games and and play a different game now? I want to be a father. I want to be a, you know, healthier person or philosophy, whatever it is. I like those people more like the Feynmans of the world
0: versus the like one thing all all the time. Yeah, me too. Well, the other thing I think about, like just to empathize with the Zucks and Bezos and stuff, like they also very early on got themselves into a situation, probably deliberately, but like where they were expected and obligated to continue to win that particular game. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's it, it's hard. It's, it's like everything in life is a trade-off. And I think there's like two basic personalities where some people can live a life, die at 85 and be like, you know, I was Kobe and I just was the best basketball player I could possibly be. And, and that's a completely fine way to live. And then like someone like myself, I just want to taste, especially through the vehicle of Epic, I've been able to like do TV, do product, do like inventing stuff. Do mail modeling. Do, do, do books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that, that was a crazy experience, dude. That was like... I don't think I'm going to get some deal like that ever again cuz I, I could have easily just deleted that email but it was it said Timberland so I took it up dude that was crazy I had never done anything like that before in my life all of a sudden I'm on a plane to Berlin on like a million dollar production like and they think I know how to model like I don't know how to model <laughs> <laughs> and so like so I'm getting this photographer shooting me and she had like just flown in from shooting Miley Cyrus or something. and she's like this little French girl literally like splayed out on the ground of this public park in Berlin. and she's like, Not giving me any instruction at all, (laughs) and there's like 40 people looking at me, and I'm like, dude, what the fuck do I do right now? Like, I got so tight, you know. And some guy comes over because you have a guy that's gonna touch your hair up. You have a makeup woman or man. You have a stylist that you couldn't even touch your shoes. You had to tie it. They tied it for you. And so some guy comes over to me, like I don't even know who they were at the time, and they're like, hey, like just so you know, like you can like do whatever you want, like you can walk and like you can pose and whatever. And I was like, dude thanks for telling me because I don't know how to model at all. And so I thought you're going to tell me what to do. And they're like, no, like what models do is they kind of like do what they want. And I was like, dude, this is so awkward. But it ended up being, I finally got like comfortable with it. But it, dude, it was the weirdest thing ever. My mom still has the like Timberland, uh, there's like these huge printouts they did. And so yeah. when you go into my 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 childhood home garage, you open the garage and it's like
0: a 20 by 20 foot of me just like, oh, like this, it's so stupid. I think I think there was one of those up on my like commute to San Francisco. There's like a 26 oh, Kevin that would like walk by every morning and be like, what's up? Come I ahead. got
1: yeah, I did I did get some like texts from like old friends or something, like, yo, is this you and my like <laughs> on my TV screen? The fun to the 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 pivotal moment for me as like a creator is obviously I'm running ads on the blog, right? And so when my own ad of my own self for Timberland showed up on my own blog, I was like, this is the infinite monetization loop. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is the dream. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that was a weird experience for sure. But yeah, you get to taste it all. And that's what, I guess that's what I'm saying. It's like, I like to touch a bunch of
0: different things. Yeah. So uh, what's the other, there's another component of this raise too, right? Is, um, which is, can you talk about the acquisition?
1: yeah, well, I can say I can say right now it's a lot of this is like r- either about to happen or or very close to happening, um which I just realized that's the same thing I just said. um but yeah, we're we're trying to acquire cause, look, I mean, I sell gardening products, but there's a lot of things in the gardening world that you can sell that I don't sell. And if I have a lot of educational material on growing plants, I should probably sell some plants, uh, and I should probably sell really high quality ones. And so we're in the process of hopefully acquiring. Uh, a company that that can allow us to do that. That's like a really sort of legacy, reputable company uh, that I'm really, really excited about. Um, so yeah, that that's that's like sort of the big play is to start offering live goods and, and selling those as well.
0: That's awesome. And like, can you, uh, this is a dumb question. Can you ship a plant?
1: Yeah, it's actually really, it's actually a really interesting e logistics problem to solve because of course it's live goods. So that's hard on its own to ship if you had no restrictions whatsoever, but every state has different restrictions on the types of produce that you can and can't ship. Like California, California and Florida, almost impossible to get citrus into the state, almost impossible. So what you have to do if you wanna sell to anywhere in the country is you then need to establish or or work with a nursery who produces in state and then only route those orders. So like you get this crazy sort of matrix of, of shipping problems that if you solve it, there's a lot of value there. Um, but yeah, you, you can ship plants. It sounds like a great thing to buy rather than build. Yeah, if you build that thing, dude, good luck. I mean, <laughs> what I what you start to realize, I guess, is as you grow a company, and tell me what you think about this: is honestly, the solution to a lot of problems are, are just to go hire the people who've already solved them, or buy the company that's already solved them. And there's very few things, unless you're pushing like you know crazy hard tech edges or something, that aren't already solved somewhere um and especially for like my, my style business is not we're not groundbreaking we're just the formulation of it is interesting uh we're not pushing the envelope though you're groundbreaking all the time how you how are you yeah,
0: those seeds yeah.
1: that's true baby yeah we're, we're, <laughs> we're physically breaking ground which you know s- some may say is higher value i i i knew there
0: was going <laughs> to be gardening funds in here i just it's it, too, it too didn't easy know was gonna come. it's too easy yeah, yeah. <laughs> um okay so you're buying this nursery that has distribution all over the country. I imagine this is going to like radically expand the products that you have available.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, I really don't know how much I can say of this, so I can, maybe we can clear this afterwards, but it's really like a fish eating a larger fish type of situation where they're they're bigger than us. Um, And so it's, it's a really unique scenario where we get to sort of steward a company into the next generation of of, of, of growers, yeah, um, and, and sort really of continue the legacy. Cause it's a very old company. Um, so yeah, it, it, it over doubles revenue, um, uh, in a perfect world, uh, if not more. Um, so yeah, the, like the synergy of it is crazy because it's the same logic as before. Like, Hey, I'm a creator. I'll offer products. And now it's like, Hey, I'm a creator. I'll offer an instantly saleable and like well-running suite of products that is
0: already respected, you know? Um, so I think it's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's super incredible. Um, I, I have another dumb question for you. Uh, how does like IP, for lack of a better term, like work in, in the agricultural world? Like, can anybody grow anything at any time? Actually, no.
1: So there's certain things that, uh, let's say you have a patent on, a great example, so there's a company, I think it's Del Monte that does the pineapples, They're their big pineapple company. And so they grow in Costa Rica, normal golden pineapples, um, but they also produced a pink pineapple that's taken them about 12 years to produce. And so it's a GMO pineapple, which a lot of people don't like GMO. This is a situation where the enzyme that turns, so all pineapples start out pink on the interior. What they've done is they've muted the enzyme that turns it orange after it sweetens up. And so they've just decreased the ability for it to turn orange. It's the only modification they've made. But it's a true genetic modification that they have now patented that variety and so what they do it's really interesting in their marketing because in the plant world you kind of don't want to call that out as in a marketing sense because it's just not a good look i guess and so what they'll say is they're like we've you know we've lovingly grown these pineapples in the in the beautiful fields of Costa Rica and for sustainability purposes we we slice off the tops of the pineapples so that we can replant them and continue this cycle of life. Well it's not it, that's not why it's because if you cut if you give if you give me the top of a pink pineapple, I can grow a pink pineapple. Oh I can propagate it and I can grow it and it's actually illegal for me to do that. And so they're just preventing you from doing it because if as soon as they allow, allow that out of Costa Rica basically, and a market develops for it. It would take a few years because pineapples are a two to three year crop, but you could propagate enough to have this illicit black market of pink pineapples that you then undercut Del Monte for. Um, so, so yeah, there's certain situations where you you literally, it's illegal to propagate plants that you could buy at a nursery. Not to say people don't do it. I'm sure people do it all the time. But yeah, I mean, if you started to like run an underground nursery, you
0: could get hit pretty hard for that that would be the cutest black market business of all time. I'm a pirate yeah. of pink pineapples. But... <laughs> yeah.
1: And you've, and you've like, cause I mean, pineapples dude are really long growers. Like we're talking three years. That's crazy. So for one, one fruit. And so, yeah, you imagine like some guy like goes to Costa Rica, grabs like 20 tops, grows them for three years, grows like 40 more tops. It's like it's like 10 years down the line. He has like 700 only and he's trying to sell them. He's trying to like undercut. It doesn't make any sense. but
0: And goes to jail after making like $42. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah he, gets, he gets sued for like quarter million dollars or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. All that to say, yeah, you, there's certain types of plant material you can patent and thus then you can't infringe on that IP. That's wild. Uh, seed breeding actually is another one that's really fascinating. If you're if you're hybridizing seeds, which is not GMO, that's traditional crossing methods. But like I- I've met some people who've grown new tomato varieties, new new potato. I met a guy who took 23 years to get a new potato that you could actually grow from a seed, because most potatoes you plant the actual potato. Uh, so this is one where you can grow from a seed and it it grows what's called true to type, which means it's pretty close to the potato that it was the parent of. Potatoes typically you can't do that because you get just whatever. There's too much crossing. Um, so he's he's grown that and like yeah if you steal that seed you're in big trouble it's it kind of gets into that whole idea of like Monsanto with the GMO soy and it blows into your field and then you get sued yeah. you know yeah, yeah.
0: Did, um, have you read the fish that ate the whale no I should probably I should probably too. read that um, I mean it is like relevant to you on multiple fronts I think at this point um, it's the story of like the banana king Sam Zamurri, who like lived in New Orleans i'm interested um (laughs) it's it's absolutely wild it reads like a total novel like it seems impossible he like owned large swaths of central america and like pioneered the marketing of the banana in the united states and it talks about the different like growth types of banana and all the like geopolitical conflicts about like between central america and importing bananas and like yeah for sure i'm buying that highly recommend
1: I have a confession actually to make, and I it's it's pretty bad to make to someone like yourself because you're such a reader. I went like I think when we first talked, I was reading a lot. like I was reading as much as you or anyone else in that sort of world of knowledge accumulation and codification, you know. since I started Epic, especially in the last couple of years, I don't know if I've read a book cover to cover at all. Um, and I don't know how I feel about that. i just haven't i just haven't done it dude i don't know what to tell you
0: i would say like Um, the opportunity cost of reading a book cover to cover is like goes up constantly it does
1: right and i get more towards that naval style of like mm -hmm. when do i if i need the knowledge right now i'll go hunt it down and then as soon as i get it i'll just go act on it and i guess i'll miss out on like
0: the the breadth of knowledge i could develop you know yeah i'm getting way choosier about what books i actually read cover to cover and it's a lot less than i mean i used to read 50 books a year and now it's like less than 10 probably but i do a lot more podcasts a lot more um i mean papers especially like trying to learn about web3 like i don't know oh there's only God, like yeah. two good books about it maybe um books so books are like, the
1: worst way to learn about that i feel like yeah you know yeah twitter is probably the best way twitter and discord is the best way to learn about it yeah, yeah just chatting
0: absolutely. with some per, some person yeah um so but yeah like, audiobook whatever audiobook the uh Fish to date the whale, like I will. Yeah, you be you be into that. Okay, um, you're into the YouTube thing too, right? Like, or the uh, sorry, the Web three. Oh yeah, yeah, right. yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I, so I've been in crypto since. I mean, really, I'm kind of an OG in a sense where someone sent me 0.06 Bitcoin in 2013, <laughs> and also I was trying to mine it in 2013. I just could not figure it out. I was trying to mine Bitcoin and Litecoin in 2013, just couldn't get it. Which I still regret to this day, of course. Um, But yeah, in a serious way since 2017, and then obviously in the last like maybe 18 months, a lot more because it feels like something tastes different this time. Um, And 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 seeing where Epic is now as like a web two giant, I'm like, okay, well, what's
0: gonna happen, right? Where is it going? Yeah, is there any like entrance of that like what you're learning there to like the day job, I guess, of running Epic, like. Yeah,
1: so I've got a couple ideas. I'm curious what you think of these because they're certainly not fleshed out. But I have this idea of, got really into the NFT thing. Um, and as soon as, I, I used to just garbage NFTs. I was like, what's the point? You can right-click save. It was the whole thing. I was like, yeah, who who cares? Like, I don't care if I have the Mona Lisa. Picture's fine. It doesn't matter. As soon as I bought one, I understood it. Like, almost almost like physiologically. I was like, oh, I actually understand completely what's happening. Uh, So that was a weird experience. And as soon as I did that, then my mind goes, I think the profile picture JPEGs are like probably the dumbest reason to have NFTs as a technology, you know? Uh, That's my take. Obviously, arts it's it's fantastic to see all these artists making a bunch of money and and succeeding, which is really cool, because typically they just get owned by economics. Um, But I started thinking, I was like, okay, well, what if you could somehow the people who are really into epic gardening as a community which we've got we, we i have a discord of like 8000 people right and so i was like oh, well, what done. if you could epic gardening discord i started a discord in 20 or i think earlier this year cuz i was like i was it was another one of those things where i'm like if i'm trying to reach every demographic some people just want to hang in a chat room all the time and talk about plants uh so it's is it the most pop in discord ever no but we've got like a core core community of people so I, so I started thinking, I was like, okay, well, my first thought was, what if you could use something like Republic and and sell 10% of your company to your community, right? I was like, well, that's cool. There's a lot of legal structures there. Investors probably aren't too keen on things like that. Like, maybe you separate it. And so I was like, okay, well, what if I could tokenize the Epic Gardening community? The idea I had was if I have, let's say, a 100 by 100 square foot plot of land, you you divide it into single square foot blocks you tokenize the blocks uh, and then you allow people to purchase the tokens. And that represents the, the square footage of space in the garden that they would have like a DAO level governance over. Uh, and you could you could create collectives and groups and stuff. And I, I was going to call it community garden. Uh, and the idea is the community's literally directing what's happening in that space based on all of the tokenomics and the governance. And so it's, it's the closest I could come up with to a way to make the people who really follow Epic Gardening and connect with it a true part of it all. And maybe the produce gets sent to them, right? Mm. Their, their fractional share. Maybe it gets donated. Maybe, maybe there's another formulation that makes sense. But there has to be a way in the future, I think, where all these Web2 style creators, YouTubers, podcasters, whatever, give their community some level of upside potential in the growth of the whole thing. Uh, I just don't know what it looks like right now because it's so early.
0: Yeah, it, it definitely early. I think the the stuff that you can imagine happening around these communities is just like really epic. Um, but I don't think that the infrastructure exists yet, quite yet. The, no. the, there are some, there are, there are like glimpses of it, right? So there's one, um, one Discord I'm in, uh, the shiny objects club. I'm like, top. oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, we're both in oh, yeah, it. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the, the like level, there's automatic like level ups in that, depending on how much time you spend typing into that discord. I think that's like the metric or maybe it's like, I, I believe read it's and yeah. write time or something. Some combination it's, it's, of it. it's
1: something like that. Yeah. And, and they just released the token for the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now I believe the way they're doing, it, I'm not sure I need to go look at it, but you can redeem the points you earn in discord for some sort of amount of shiny. Maybe I'm not sure. Or you can just swap shiny out for whatever crypto that, that you have. Yeah, uh, and some people have done that.
0: Yeah, I, like I imagine the the future version of Epic Gardening is like people earn points, tokens, whatever for helping newbies like find new content or helping create it or sharing it, or um, and and those translate roughly back into. I don't know. Like I see, like Reddit turning their karma points into tokenized, which which means you can tie it to value really easily. Let's
1: just say, (laughs) if so, so like, let's just say if they do that, I'm be happy because I used to be a crazy redditor, you know. So I've got some karma. So if that karma has any sort of value to it that you can swap out, then that would be very interesting. Just like with what just happened with the um, Ethereum name service airdrop. Yeah. Um, I don't. Did you get any of that or, or no?
0: I haven't redeemed it yet, but I realize that I'm an idiot because the higher it goes, basically the higher your tax bill on the realized gains of the
1: tokens.
0: Oh, interesting. I think. I'm not. It's not clear to me how this all works, but... That does
1: make sense, I guess, because that would be the event, right? I think that'd be the event. I redeemed at 26, I guess. Well, actually, no, I redeemed before there was even a listing. So how does that work? Uh, Who knows? That's the thing. The, the tax rules have to change because there's no way to square them with current reality. You know, if Web3 takes off, it's like, yeah, these all don't, these all are not all investments.
0: It doesn't make sense. You can't track it that way. Yeah. On the other hand, it's easier to track than it's ever been. Like, you know, dropping yeah, your and sure. it like spits it spits it all out. So the lift isn't crazy, but yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it should not be a taxable event to like identify yourself on a website and sign into something. Like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense. Crazy.
1: Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, no. So, I mean, I've thought about that as far as like creators and and Web3 integrations. I've thought about things like it might web three technology offline even might solve like distribution problems. So, like, so if you think about like food production, you you think 60s onwards, you have like synthetic fertilizer, monocropped production. And then you have, so you have centralized production, centralized distribution. And I was like, okay, well, we're now seeing a movement where we see all these urban farmers doing like, I don't know, five, 10 mile radius, local farm production level, right? The problem with that is even if you get everyone to do that, you have a distribution problem yet again, because now everyone's growing copies of the same produce and has to go somewhere, right? Uh, so it's, it's more locally sustainable, but, but also then you run into that problem. So I was like, well, what if you could represent all the economics and the actors of this ecosystem on the blockchain and, and create the correct incentives to make the optimal action of distribution and production happen, just based on the economics of it all, you could, I think you can make a real dent in, in food production, because you could just say, okay, well, what has the most food miles that is the stupidest to grow and, and transport? Like lettuce, for example. High value, high um, decomposability. So in theory, it should be grown locally only, it's very easy to grow. It's like you could create a system in which it's almost like an Airbnb, but for lawns, where most of us don't use most of our outdoor space productively, kind of like when we're not driving our car, Uber, when we're not in our house, Airbnb. I'm like, well, what if you did that for, for lawns or outdoor space? And you could even create a new class of worker that would be the local gardener, mm-hmm. right? Just like the Uber driver. I'm like, that could some some version of that could work. Uh, but I, I, I have no clue how to build it. Do lawns there, drive you, do lawns drive you crazy? Especially here in San Diego, yeah. Oh yeah. god, yeah. I mean, like wait, where are you at? Kansas City. It's way more rainy there, right? Like it is, to, but it's still stupid. <laughs> it's, it's it's dude, it's it's so dumb in an area like San Diego where like most of San Diego gets their water from the Colorado River. It's like, okay, well, you're you're pulling water from another state to put on a non-native, monocultured, non-productive grass so that you can look at it. Like it doesn't even make sense. Um, so we'll look back on that. I think pretty negatively, um, especially when you can just do like a, a lower water
0: use thing that still looks good, you know? Well, yeah. Uh, or yeah. that's productive and useful. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. is is there, um, I know one of your like core principles or missions is, is like help people grow their own food. Yeah. Um, is, is there any, uh, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but like what is the is there math behind the like gardening can save the world like what to what extent can we actually be like all growing our own food because it's definitely not zero but like i have had a hard time i don't know i'm not a particularly great gardener because i have not watched nearly enough of your youtube channel but um (laughs) but i do like believe that there's a lot there um and it could close a huge gap like you're talking about like reducing food miles and cost and like just how much of an impact would that be if we were all really diligent about like using our space well yeah. in a time Man, efficient
1: I've, way? I've thought about this because if you look at like World War Two, or I believe it was World War One, but there was this concept of the Victory Garden, which was great branding. Oh yeah. Um, so there was a point at which the Americans were growing roughly forty percent of their own produce um, at home, just as a global stat, it's somewhere around there. At that level, that's real impact, right? Um, so I don't know that's that that's a there's a catalyst there that you can't manufacture. you You need an us versus them nationalistic event for that to even work. So, I don't really know how it would work. My focus right now has been like, I'm not going to make people who never want to garden convince them. I'm going to make someone who has a taste go a little harder. And then what's nice about gardening, both in products and and also just in the actual act of it is it is a public facing interface in your house. And so you are you, in your yard. So you kind of think of it, especially when COVID came out, I was like, dude, this is actually kind of like a disease. If you think about how to market the art of gardening and also products, because it's it's a public facing thing in your yard. If you have people in your yard, there is sort of an R not of how many people get interested in and sort of infected with the idea and then do it and then they spread it. And so I was like, I guess all I'm really trying to do is get the hardcore super spreaders to super spread what we talk about and maybe even the products that we sell and then just kind of let it play from there and hope that we're in a position where if there is some big catalyst, we've now armed everyone with the the, the knowledge to go like source 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 the education, you know? Like what, what if we have some weird, crazy food crisis and it just so happens that for seven years, Epic Gardening has put out a library of how to grow food at home productively. Well, then we're here for you, you know? Uh, I don't know that I can force that event to happen though. I don't think you should, if you could, because that would make you a Bond villain. For
0: yeah, that would make me, that would be very evil.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like in service of doing the greater good, you do the evil thing. Yeah. There's no way, right?
0: I really um, wanted my YouTube channel to grow. So I created another like... So I poisoned the water horrific, supply. Terrific pandemic that interrupted yeah. the supply chain. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the pandemic was interesting though,
1: dude, because obviously anything that benefited from being an at-home hobby, just exploded. You know, so like my woodworking creator friend, my baking creator friend, like you were looking at 10X growth, fantastic. But it lasted long enough, at least for gardening, that it was two springs. So one spring would have been like flashing the pan, okay, I'm back to work. And that was a fun little chapter. I baked some sourdough bread, you know? Um, but two springs is enough where like, Oh, this is actually fun, and I'm seeing myself get better the next year, and so maybe I'll just do this. And then I think you saw culturally, because I'm on TikTok and stuff. You see, with the youth, like cottage core is a movement that's coming out, Her- hermit core, like there's all these weird ass <laughs> movements. And I'm like, dude, the youth are aspiring to this more than they're aspiring to be, you know, the next Zuck, um, which I think is po- probably positive for society.
0: Yeah. So it's funny you say sourdough. I remember having this moment where like it was mid pandemic. Nobody's going outside. We're all like Lysoling our groceries. And uh, like, (laughs) if you remember that month or whatever. And uh, I was like, made the loaf of sourdough bread that was definitely mediocre. And (laughs) I was like 12 hours into like dough folding and starter feeding and just throwing out flour. And I was like, This Like the expected value of this loaf of bread based on the inputs is like $150 (laughs) at least. And sourdough bread I can buy much better for like $4, $5, $6 at the store. So like, (laughs) I understand and appreciate the miracle of capitalism. Um, Oh yeah. But like, is that, uh, do people have that same thing in gardening of like, oh my God, I worked hard for this one tomato or is it kind of like, it's so passive that you're like, oh, this is like, super productive use of time and money because I spent, you know, 20 bucks on seeds and water. It's, it is both. I think like,
1: to me, I feel like the definition of a hobby is something that's more expensive because you're doing it yourself, you know? (laughs) So, so yeah, for a lot of people, it really depends on your approach. Like my gardening assistant built a front and backyard garden that they mostly eat from for like under a grand and, that that economically is, is of course, worth it, just looking at grocery prices. But also, he had nothing else to do during the pandemic, and he's put in tons and tons of sweat equity. So relative to what else he could have been doing, let's say he had some big, high-paying job, obviously, the opportunity cost is bad. Um, I, I kind of think if you view it strictly as a one-off economic analysis, it's obviously not worth it until you hit a certain level of scale, or you like hyper optimize what you grow you only grow the most expensive easiest to grow matrix of things but if you think about the like it's about val- the, the value gardener the, yeah. the, the value yeah yeah you go like the straight economic gardener yeah like in that case you would grow herbs like basil and rosemary and stuff and you'd grow leafy greens and that's probably it um because that's what farmers do i mean urban farmers will do that and they'll sell that to restaurants it's the only thing that makes sense you wouldn't grow potatoes and onions for example right it's just so cheap but if you think about what, you, what we were talking about earlier, like you're out in the sun, maybe you don't get enough sun and that gives you 20, 30 minutes a day that you need. You know, you, you, you're you talking to your neighbors, there's this community tie, like the intangibles and the second and third orders are way better than the economic price you might be paying, I think.
0: Yeah, nowhere else to get those dirt enzymes and make your brain happy. <laughs> yeah. Happy brain juice is what it's all about.
1: Imagine like a, a Tim Ferriss-esque optimizer personality who like, only cares about the enzymes and it's just like okay i need five minutes of digging in the soil but i'm actually not doing anything you know just like playing around with it just to get it i could see someone doing that it's like what it could do just just have a garden and <laughs> just grow something
0: <laughs> I, I actually have a i think there's something really interesting about like uh if we it, there's this like a sci-fi outline i have um like if we perfectly understood the feedback loops of like the quantified self and all of the different activities that we had, we would actually probably only do these really, really wholesome things like sunbathing and walking outside and playing with puppies. And like like that is actually neurochemically what makes us really, really happy. And, and the subjectivity of your own neurochemical happiness, like we just don't have a way to like appreciate that. Like we are all just so mimetically driven that there's nothing stronger than like that feedback loop. But uh, if we had the technology to do it, we would have this sort of like return to wholesomeness that might be like kind of amazing. I, I have no, this is no, a fun story. To...
1: That's hitting exactly on this. That's a, another interesting way, I think, to encapsulate this idea I have of like, I I guess it's like a kind of a contrarian take, I suppose. But it's like, I actually think most of what we develop technologically Um, doesn't materially improve our lives in the same way as like walking in a forest, you know, with a good friend and then eating wholesome food and then like laughing by a fire would do for us. And so I think I call it like high tech natural. I think you should barbell mostly probably on the more primal side. And then you should taste 20% of what the best of society and tech has to offer that truly like the, like the fact that we can do this insane, don't want to give it up ever. But but after this, I probably should like shirtless walk outside and like you know harvest some some basil and have like some homegrown eggs, right? Uh, Because it seems to me like we can't get past our biology fast enough, evolutionarily speaking. And it's at least for the next however long until we go metaverse, uh, it's just gonna be the best way to do it. Like I said, dude, I I saw some. I, I treated it as a meme, but I saw something. Some scientists were like. We have discovered a new way without plants to take uh, carbohydrates and turn them into starches, and it was this um, like crazy chemical like circle of transformation, you know, that they did. And then I, I retweeted, and I was like, "Or you could just throw a potato in the ground and forget, and you you have it. it that, that's what that plant is doing for you." And so it's like, do we really need? To do that, and then I get I'm like, am I a luddite or am I not? I don't know because I really like tech, but um, it's a weird dichotomy I think. Yeah, I,
0: if anything, we overapply it I think for sure. And the, the like barbell triage is is super interesting. Um, I mean the the slippery slope is like we don't use tech to work less hard, we use it to work more, more for longer. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, but yeah. So it, I, it, I think it, you're onto it it kind of ties to
1: the like when to stop playing the game idea. You know, it's like, okay, if you're, if you're using tech to hyper leverage yourself, which we're both fans of, of course, th- you you do have to d- decide like when is enough, like, or, because we all can't leverage ourselves until the end of time. We all can't be the biggest player in everything we do. It just doesn't mathematically work that way, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's, it is interesting. It's like wh- Okay, when do I just decide to chill
0: and um, be a human being? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think now's about the time for me to go chill and be a human (laughs) being. Like we've been at this for a minute. Um, I'm super like jazz for you, man. This is all really, really cool. What a great adventure. And, um, I'm glad you're getting a little breathing room to like live the way you want to live. And, uh, but still, I think like you're getting the best of both worlds. Still take this huge level up and like build this gardening behemoth. It
1: certainly feels like that. I, I hope it's true, um, yeah. but yeah, yeah, man. I, I appreciate it. I'm glad we got to catch up, and maybe
0: I'll have to have you on sometime because I want to hear about everything you've been up to as well. It's been a while. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll, we'll do it. I don't know what's your your podcast. I don't know anything about gardening. You see my sad my sad basil plant. I'm not yeah, qualified yeah. to be on your podcast at all. No,
1: no. I think just <laughs> maybe we could not record it and just have a phone call. You know, <laughs> <laughs> gasp! But the content creator's nightmare to not record it. <laughs>
0: Uh, the 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 unleveraged good times yeah exactly all (laughs) All right uh we'll catch up soon thank you so much for uh taking the time appreciate this everybody go uh go grow your own lettuce yeah hit us up on youtube we got some good beginner videos for you thanks kevin all right take care man really appreciate you hanging out with us today thank you for listening i had a ton of fun with kevin i hope you enjoyed hanging out with us as well My favorite takeaway from this episode was really the balance of applying technology yet living naturally. I think we can all pay closer attention to how the way we spend our time actually makes us feel over the medium term, not just the short term, and look for wholesome, timeless sources of our happy brain juice. Take a few quiet moments for yourself, breathe deep, and be well.